Thanks for joining us for another episode of the FSLSO Palmcast, a podcast series from the Florida Surplus Line Service Office, featuring industry news, special guests, and more. I'm your host, Jordan Morrow. Today, our guest is Florida's former insurance commissioner and founder of Celtic Globe Consulting, Kevin McCarty. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today for the third episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. Really appreciate you coming on the show with us today. Can you just start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here and to share some time with you. Uh, well, I can tell you that I'm a, I've lived in Florida for most of my adult life. Spent my formative years in uh, Vermont. I'm originally from the Northeast and uh, one of the many Yankee transplants that moved to South Florida and grew up and was educated at the University of Florida with my law degree from the University of Florida and began my career in uh, the Department of Labor and Employment Security in uh, my first positions in 1988, coming out of law school and, and worked on workers' comp reform, cut my teeth first in, in that area, and then eventually moved over to the Department of Insurance and spent the next... I was uh, came to Tallahassee on what I called the five-year plan which then became the 10-year plan. And 27 years later, I'm still in <laughs> Tallahassee. So it's uh, it's been a labor of love, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, serving the people of Florida in a number of capacities, particularly my tenure as insurance commissioner in the state of Florida. And as you mentioned, you were the Florida Commissioner of Insurance Regulation from 2003 to 2016. How did you get started in this position? Well, you know, the insurance commissioner position in Florida was an elected position, and, and there were seven elected members of the cabinet that part of the commission reform for recommendations was to shrink the size of the cabinet. And when in process of doing that, they had to determine what they were going to do with the functions of the insurance commissioner's office, and they made that an appointed office, which uh, in a number of states it's appointed, about 12 or 13 states it's elected, so Florida was transitioning from an elected commissioner to an appointed commissioner, administratively housed in the Department of Financial Services, but uh, served at the pleasure of the cabinet, which was composed of the, the CFO, the chief financial officer, the governor, commissioner of agriculture, and the attorney general. And so I was the first appointed commissioner, but I had served 20 years in service in the insurance department in a number of capacities in learning the various areas of insurance and insurance regulation and was uh, insurance commissioner, uh, deputy insurance commissioner under uh, the Honorable Tom Gallagher in his second time, or Gallagher too, as we like to say, when the return of Gallagher, uh, when he became uh, commissioner again, and, and then CFO. And so um, I was very pleased to serve Governor Bush and his cabinet uh, and his folks and Tom Gallagher. The, the arrangement was the chief financial officer and the governor have to approve and with the acquiescence of the other members. So they have to be on, both have to be on the prevailing side. So I was appointed um, by Jeb Bush and then served through uh, most recently my th- the third governor uh, with uh, with Governor Scott and uh, was really pleased to, to serve the people of Florida, not only as my tenure as insurance commissioner, but as, uh, as in, in the insurance department and predecessor in the insurance department. What were some of the primary responsibilities that you held while acting as Florida Commissioner of Insurance Regulation? Well, you know, Florida is um, is not for the faint of heart. Florida is, you know, uh, is, is uh, famous, in some cases infamous, for a variety of things. Florida was, you know, the site of a great deal of fraud and fraudsters and hucksters since its beginning in the 1920s land swindles and earned a reputation, along with a number of other states, of being a petri dish of all kinds of, of uh, sordid activities. And so 
Florida has been a challenge to be insurance commissioner, but it's also been um, a, a great opportunity for uh, innovation. We consider ourselves the incubator of, of original ideas, whether it's how to fund new insurance companies through surplus notes and innovations in the reinsurance market, modernization of collateral standards, the creation of, uh, of HMOs and health maintenance organizations was a was a Florida concept. So we've been, as uh, the challenges, the first to face these challenges gave us the opportunity to be the innovators in a number of areas. And so it's been a pleasure being in that capacity. And whether it's providing the surveillance of companies, uh, protecting seniors, because we have a, a very large senior population, protecting those people who are that can't protect themselves, which I think is a, is a key and essential function of government. Raised relative conservative and conservative in, in terms of that to let the market work. And where the market works, the government should leave it to the marketplace. But they're on the margins. The government serves to protect those who are, those who can protect themselves, our senior population and those who are vulnerable and subject to fraud and abuse. So the government is important role is to ensure the solvency of the companies and protect consumers from abuse. You worked for the Florida Department of Insurance and the Office of Insurance Regulation for over a decade before your appointment. What originally made you want to start working for these offices to begin with? Well, I started to, you know, I, I worked at the Department of Labor, and I was very involved with the task force that, that was formed at the time mm-hmm. and uh, to do another workers' comp reform in Florida. You know, Florida had gone through many iterations of workers' comp reform, all of which worked for a temporary period of time, and then there would be weaknesses in the system, and then those weaknesses would be capitalized on, and then we would see works, you know, rates skyrocket. And so the great, you know, social compact between employers and employees. And I saw that the working from, I was working on the administrative side of benefits, and I thought by work being able to work with development of the policy that it would be better serve the people of Florida in, in trying to provide a way to strike that important balance to ensure that a consumer, that injured workers had prompt quality medical care and got the benefits for their, for being out of work, but at the same time got them back to work and protected employers from the rising cost of workers' comp insurance premiums. So I saw going to the Department of Insurance and I had an opportunity to go there. In addition to being the liaison for workers' comp, I was given the residual market, what they call the Joint Underwriting Associations, and auto and med now. And they said, don't worry about those. They're small and you, little groups, and they won't take up much of your time. Well, that all, of course, changed in uh, when Hurricane Andrew cut its swath of destruction and created the JUA for property insurance and sort of defined the rest of my history with the insurance department. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced during your career as Florida Commissioner of Insurance Regulation? That's a challenging question to answer, given Florida's challenges that are in the Florida marketplace and the complexity of the Florida marketplace. Florida, we're a country of its own and be the 12th largest market in the world. It has a, a rich ethnic and cultural diversity. It has a, a great deal of, uh, of challenges, as I mentioned before, with uh, a history, a checkered history of of being one of the focal points of fraud and misrepresentation. So insurance departments in Florida, in a number of states, but particularly Florida, has to be vigilant in their protection. But you look at Hurricane Andrew, then following up the hurricane seasons in 2004 and 2005, and the almost complete collapse of the homeless insurance market. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you, you certainly had the crisis with long-term care, the crisis with dealing with uh, sales of annuities to seniors. So again, uh, there were a number of challenges, and I think each time uh, I'm very proud of the women and men that work in the insurance department and their collective dedication to their service to the people of Florida. They certainly don't do it for the money. Uh, they do it out of dedication to the cause. And also, kudos to the leadership that I've, I had the uh, pleasure of working with great innovators. Uh, Jeb Bush is one of the greatest governors, in, not only in the history of the state of Florida, but probably in the country. And during 2004, 2005, watching Jeb Bush uh, at work was truly amazing. But his, and his innovation and his reaction to each and every storm uh, would have probably exhausted most governors, almost exhausted me, but uh, just trying to keep up with him. And incidentally, he answered all of his own emails, which was absolutely amazing. He got hundreds, if not thousands of emails and he answered them. And I just think of him as a remarkable mentor, and I learned a lot about government management in that tenure during that time. While he is very pro-business and pro-development, he was also very pro-consumer. He held the insurance companies to a very high performance standard and held his insurance commissioner to make sure those companies performed in, in like kind. So in legislative leadership that, you know, with some of the innovations that we did in workers' comp, et cetera, uh, to drop the rates 50 to 60 percent and make Florida very competitive. Leadership of Tom Gallagher during those times as well. So I had the privilege of working with some some great women and men over the years, innovations that uh, that in the legislative and in the administrative front that I think serve the people of Florida very well. Well, I'm glad that you brought up that 2004-2005 season because we're going to get to come back and touch on that a little bit later. What were some of the specific changes that you implemented to Florida's insurance regulation during your time in office? We tried to anticipate what the next uh, issue was. You know, the, the challenge, of course, of being in office is you don't want to be reactive. You want to anticipate right. what's happening in the insurance cycles coming up. Uh, so clearly, one of the things we wanted to do was to modernize the filing process, et cetera, in that Years ago, when you know I started in, in the department, everything was delivered by mail or delivered by you know an insurance regulator's uh, paid representative. They would come in with stacks of papers and bound and stapled in three you know copies, and you know that was not the highest and most efficient way. And so over time, we not working with the National Associations of Insurance Commissioners, but individually in our state, we created the first of its kind electronic filing for applications, the electronic system for filing forms and rates, and to provide more efficiency and a a repository of information that improve the service to the consumers as well as to the insurance industry. We led the campaign for for modernization of collateral so that companies didn't have to post collateral after a storm hit, which made no sense to us, but it was a, a rule under United States accounting treatment for insurance companies. And so New York and Florida led the, the changes regarding that, which I think was uh, instrumental and has been the model in the EU-US dialogue that subsequently resulted in a covered agreement and which codified the very things that Florida did. Uh, we led the investigation for uh, a number of violations for protection of consumers. So whether it's innovations in modernization of technology or providing new entrance into the marketplace and solving the problems after a hurricane season 2004 and five, or a variety of consumer initiatives and consumer protections. Uh, we've been very proud of the work we've done over the years and being one of the leadership 
position in a number of those issues. Can you tell me a little bit more about the electronic filing system that you came up with? What was it like to be the very first one, the pioneer to lead the charge and in that innovation and in that new area? First of all, I think you have to have an appreciation for the sheer volume of information insurance departments receive. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And if you think of just the quarterly statements and the annual statements, what you're required to be filed, the National Association of Insurance Commissioner is the largest repository of data in the world just on those filings. And that, you remember, is just the financial piece. That does not, that's not the application. And that's not the tens of thousands of forms that are filed or have been filed with departments, addendums that have been filed, applications that have been filed, and supplemental reporting requirements that are required by the various states. As we kind of did a catalog and analysis of that, we established a prioritization as to where we could get the most efficiencies and then developed a system for filing that information online. And we developed our own system, and subsequently, you know, the NAIC came up with a system as well. But again, Florida was a pioneer in filing for uh, for forms and rates. We have the iFile system, which uh, predated SURF, which is the system that is used by the NAIC. And hopefully in time, we'll be able to merge those systems together to better serve you know, the like, but you know, we predated them by almost a decade in initiation of our, the first filing system, and then we branched from that and did other filing with you know the applications. So, by the time I left, virtually everything that was filed with the department was filed electronically, but not just sent in like an email, but actually filed in a document management system and in a workbench system that allowed the analysts to review that in a way that was efficient and effective for uh, public research. Well, now that we've talked a little bit about some of the specific changes that you made, when you think back on those changes, which ones are you the most proud of? Which ones really stand out to you? Well, I think clearly the addressing the, the collapse of the marketplace in 2004 and five. One in five homes in Florida were damaged or destroyed right. as a result of hurricanes. I had an opportunity to, to fly over the impacted area. In the, it was just a sea of blue. And we used to think of swimming pools when you would fly over, but it was actually the blue tarps on the roofs of Florida. Oh gosh. To uh, visit with the people who are impacted is a very disturbing, you know, to see their lives disrupted and how important insurance is to the recovery in a community. And one of the things that Jeb Bush emphasized is the importance of hardening homes and being able to get people back to work, kids back to school, clean up the roads. All of this was integral part. It's, it's not, you know, it's a government, it's a public-private partnership. The government has its responsibility, the private sector has their responsibility. But rebuilding the marketplace after those storms was a huge accomplishment. Seeing citizens grow to 1.5 million and then shrink down below a half a million policies in that time, in a five or six year period, was a huge accomplishment and a shift away from the state exposure to the private sector. It was, uh, it was really gratifying and to provide better coverage at better prices for, for consumers. To a point of the single most gratifying moment was, uh, my opportunity to, uh, to talk about the accomplishments that Florida had made in its, uh, position and shared position with a number of insurance commissioners who led the charge against insurance companies who discriminated and did not pay death claims. We got $9 billion returned to policyholders. And these were people of limited means. 
These were people who had bought industrial life policies, which you may know are, are low-value policies, and we worked to, to get the companies to do the right thing. And I was very privileged and pleased to be interviewed by Leslie Stahl in 60 Minutes, which was certainly a highlight of my career. I think it gave opportunity to show that state-based regulatory system could successfully protect consumers and ensure that people got the benefit of the bargain, because that's what we're here for. Jeb Bush used to say, a promise made is a promise kept. And if you make a promise to a person, whether they're a millionaire or they have a $10,000 policy, we're going to make sure that you pay the benefits that you and the promise you made. When you were talking about the 0405 season, that sounds like it was a tremendous obstacle and a tremendous amount of responsibility to go and meet with those people whose homes were destroyed and uh, to try and do your responsibility and fulfill your role to make it up to them and try and get their lives back on track. In kind of a different vein and taking a little bit of a detour now, what, what were some of the things when you think back that you really would have liked to accomplish but you weren't able to in your time? I had the privilege of testifying before Congress a number of times. And one of the things that I found particularly offensive was uh, educational and rating, where they would use underwriting standards like your income or education or credit scoring. And credit scoring, you know, which to me is a proxy for poor or for discriminated, historically discriminating minorities. So I found that to be offensive and uh, had been largely ineffective uh, at uh, trying to change that dynamic. I know that uh, there are very, very valuable underwriting tools that insurance companies use, but I think that uh, we have a checkered history, Florida, of being a state that was not always uh, celebrating its cultural and ethnic diversity. As you know, we were a state of the Confederacy and had a number of years of brutal discrimination practices in our state. So I think we have to be extra vigilant in ensuring that we don't discriminate against people of color or people who have been historically discriminated. And I'm concerned that some of these things were actually proxies for race. And if nothing else, they adversely affected poorer people. And again, I think a function of government is to protect those who are least able to protect themselves. So I'm disappointed I wasn't able to make more in that. Another area I think I really wished uh, I had more success was the solvency requirements for some insurance companies, particularly on the health side, because we have some of the lowest standards. We don't, well, there's, this, there's a tool that's available that was developed by the NAIC. It's called Risk-Based Capital, RBC for short, and that was a tool for measuring the financial strength and company action. And we don't have that in Florida for HMOs. And so I regret that we weren't able to pass that kind of legislation, both on the consumer side and on the solvency side. I mean, we've had some great celebrated successes and a few disappointments. But on balance, I think we're very proud of the work we did. Absolutely. And there's no doubt that being the commissioner comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. What are some of the problems or issues that you dealt with that the average citizen in Florida might not have been aware of? Thanks for that question, because, you know, no one ever picks up the phone and says, good morning, insurance commissioner, thank you for ensuring that my company has the ability to pay claims. Right. You know, whenever you talk to a consumer in Florida, and I've done my share of talking with consumers in Florida, they're angry about some failure of the system. First of all, insurance is kind of a strange product. When you buy a TV, you buy a TV because you want to use the TV as much as possible. When you buy insurance... You think about it, you never want to use it, particularly the life policy, right? Uh, you don't want to use it. You don't want to have a fire. But people tend to think of insurance more like a bank account. I remember getting up 
hearing people get, going to hearings across the state, which I did. I think it was important for people to see the face of the insurance commissioner and listen to their stories. And they're saying, I have been XYZ customer for 20 years. I paid premiums for 20 years. And I didn't get anything in return. Or they look at it as a bank account. And, you know, the response, of course, from on a macro level is you don't want to get, you don't want to file a claim. You don't want a hurricane, et cetera. So I think people don't have a full appreciation for what their insurance, their premiums goes to pay for someone else's losses, and hopefully those monies will be there for their losses. The other thing is I don't think people fully appreciate the breadth of the responsibilities. I think the popular press think you're responsible for property insurance. They don't really understand that you cover. There are dozens of areas of coverage that you do. Viatical coverage, warranties third-party administrators. There's a number of things that are regulated by the insurance department. And so they think you just have this one little area of focus. And the other area is the insolvencies that never happened because you can never tell those stories because it's all confidential. But I can tell you there have been a number of insolvencies that never happened. I did have the pleasure of running into uh, somebody who administered our guarantee fund. And she said, thank you for never licensing XYZ company because you by doing that, and they fought me in court, uh, by doing that, you have saved the taxpayers of Florida millions of dollars. Well, she knew that because she knew I didn't license this company. But those are the things that Floridians, they know about the failures, but they don't know all the successes sometimes and the responsibility you have. And the core responsibility is to ensure that companies have the wherewithal to pay claims. Right. As you mentioned earlier in the interview, Florida is kind of infamous for its hurricane season each year. Can we go back to that 2004-2005 era and just take me through some of the stories or difficulties or moments that you remember from that time? First of all, I think is what Governor Bush used to call the culture of amnesia. It's human nature. You go a few years without a storm and you have a few million people move here who've never been in a storm and you have the culture of amnesia. You forget what it's like to go through it. Well, 2004, 2005 was a cure for that amnesia because I think virtually every weekend I was, or somebody in my family was putting up shutters or securing their windows, etc. Oh yes. From the people who worked there at the time, it was exhausting because you, you dreaded turning on the television because you had to watch the weather channel and you knew that it was going to be yet another storm barreling down on Florida, and it was, uh, and then to fly over and to go into the living rooms of what was left of the homes and talk to people about their, the impact of the storms. Yeah, it, it's, it affects you. It does. And to know that, uh, there's some, and some people would say, thank God, their agent was there and they gave them money immediately so they could go someplace to a hotel. And, you know, others struggled to get in touch with them. And so, you know, it's really important. A lot of people didn't realize the changes that were in their policies, and even though there's bold print, et cetera, they don't realize that they have this huge deductible. And some of them didn't have the money to pay the deductible to effectuate the, the... So fortunately, there's new products out there now that, that will help people fill those coverage gaps and not that process. I think it's important to, to not just look at this as a transaction of, of the financial services, but in fact, this affects people's lives. And both Tom Gallagher and Governor Bush always thought it was important for their, you know, people in public service 
to go down into the field and to go and look at the damaged areas and to be there. Yeah. And to go with consumer services and seeing, you know, there are real, I mean, you're giving out water, you're giving out diapers, you're giving out things that are essential for people just to survive and get through those very hard times. We're not even talking about rebuilding their homes. So it's on a very personal level and, and to see the destruction of a storm and how resilient Florida really is and how it has really changed. I remember when I worked at the department, then the Department of Insurance, when Andrew struck and everyone thought it was the big one. Well, it wasn't. But how ill-prepared Florida was and how much had that's advanced and how it was built on through Jeb Bush and then uh, Governor Christ and then Governor Scott in improving the resiliency and the ability of the state to rebound. We're a hearty people. We can take a punch, but we stick together and we have to help each other out. And that's the important function of our communities. You're absolutely right. That was certainly a tremendously difficult time for Floridians and their families through that time. But it sounds like you guys really made an effort to get down in there to meet with people and to do the best you can. So that's wonderful to hear. Uh, you touched on a little bit earlier in our conversation, but can you tell me just a little bit about the assignments of benefits in Florida and what are your thoughts on the issue? That's become the, the new, you know, you, you look back over the decades and you would look at the it would be the, the disaster of the week or the disaster of the time. We would have the mold issue and, you know, how we address that and the, the shrinkage of the market in 2004 and five. And assignment of benefits is, is an area of some great concern. And it's concern of, of citizens because of the number of water claims that have grown. Essentially, assignment of benefits is you assign the right to somebody to stand in the shoes of the consumer. It's been around for a hundred years and it's an important tool to have. You do assignment of benefits when you go to the doctor's office so you don't have to bother get paying your claims at the doctor's office. You assign it to them. They go and they collect from your insurance company. It makes it easier. It's an efficiency. There's been alleged abuse in this area as well. The Office of Insurance Regulation recently done a study to show that the cost of claims have skyrocketed in water claims from, and they've increased three or four hundred percent when there was an assignment of benefits. They're concerned that there's, that people will go in with and effectuate repairs without giving the insurance company the opportunity to, to make it right. And so the, the concern is, is that rates are going to go up. We have benefited from a robust reinsurance market and rates have gone down or stabilized. And now we're seeing rates go up with no storms. People are asking why and they're, you know, demanding answers. According to Barry, president of Citizens, uh, Barry Golay, they, you know, their concern is driven by the litigation cost and, and assignment of benefits and some unscrupulous players. As I said for you, Florida is not for the faint of heart. We have our, more than our fair share of fraudsters and hucksters. And unfortunately, you want to strike a balance. You want, insurance companies want to pay legitimate claims, but they also have to be cognizant there are people out there that are trying to fleece them out of money. And striking that balance is just an incredibly important public policy issue for our legislature to deal with. Yeah, it can certainly be a tricky issue, as you said, trying to find that balance. We've talked a lot about hurricanes during our, our, our conversation together. And with that in mind, what do you see as the value of surplus lines in the Florida marketplace today and going into the future? Surplus lines has been absolutely critical element in revitalizing our marketplace. Traditionally, you think of surplus lines as providing coverage for the exotic. And that's true. I mean, it's been in the marketplace because it's not 
something that's supposed to be not readily available in the market. And mm-hmm. so you ex, what they call export it. And so you, you put it into the surplus science market because there really isn't a place for it in the voluntary market. But of course, Florida's voluntary market has experienced a lot of volatility. And there was a lot of contraction in our marketplace that, that in other states that would not have been a problem. But because of the nature of Florida's exposure, as we talked about to hurricanes, we had to rely much more on surplus lines. And we've definitely had the benefit of a very talented group of people at the surplus lines office that helped fill that gap and, and keep accurate records and the important part of collecting revenue for the state of Florida. Use that as an opportunity to communicate with that the important part of that marketplace. They certainly fill the gap with high-valued properties and properties that are potentially risky and uninsurable. And so, in a large way, it provided a very you know valuable adjunct to the market as an ability to either serve in international capacity and been able to see the placement of surplus lines coverage or the alternative market in the Lloyd Syndicate and watching how to, and you know, the critical role and how they're changing the way they do business and emerging. And I think there's a huge role in the future for surplus lines. As we continue, and as the millennials enter the marketplace, we're going to see very, I think, substantial changes in, in things like how workers organize to work, traditional workplace, workers' comp, may have to adjust to that. When And when markets are in flux and there's and making the adjustments, Surplus lines oftentimes fills that gap and provides that coverage. So I, I see a, a growing role for that in the future. And of course, they were very important in, as citizens was reducing eligibility for coverage for high value properties. Those, those places easily found homes with, found a place to go in the surplus lines market. So they've been a very critical part of our market. And Florida certainly has a very unique and important relationship with surplus lines as well. We talked a little bit about your time as the Florida Commissioner of Insurance Regulation, but you were also the president of the NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. Tell me a little bit about your experience with that. You know, insurance in the United States is different than in the rest of the world. The United States is a national system of state-based regulators. And that seems like an oxymoron. How can it be a national system with state-based regulation? But it, and it is by and through the association, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, and what we call the accreditation standards. The adoption of NEIC is a standard setter and it sets model laws for the financial solvency and regulation. Those are adopted uniformly by the states and then enforced through an accreditation process. So we have, as President uh, Reagan would call, trust but verify. We trust that you adopted these laws. We verify through the accreditation process. And that's been a very successful model. And uh, and it has served us well through a number of crises, including the, the Great Recession. And as president of the NEIC, uh, chaired, we sponsored a number of modernization initiatives. Uh, one we're very proud of is reserving modernization for uh, uh, reserving but I also had the pleasure of representing the United States interest in the international community and the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, which sets global standards for solvency of companies and internationally active groups. In the aftermath of the financial crisis, the IIS was tasked with the responsibility of setting global standards through insurance core principles, which, you know, we played a critical role in developing those, working with our colleagues around the world to provide an infrastructure where what we saw in the financial collapse 
2008 would not be repeated in, in the future. Well, now that you've been out of office for years as commissioner, what kind of work are you doing now? I uh, explored a number of opportunities leaving, and um, I decided that I would embark on my own business, and I created what I call Celtic Global Consulting. I'm of Irish lineage, Kevin Matthew McCarty, so it's a little bit Irish. In the Celtic symbol is a symbol of a warrior, which you take that any way you'd like, but uh, I've had the pleasure of establishing a consulting firm where I associate with a number of specialists in their backgrounds, whether it's uh, accounting or investments or uh, solvency standards, international core principles. Our company has provided consultation services to the Cayman Islands Monetary Authority. We're working now with the California Earthquake Authority. We work for trade associations, for public-private entities, law firms, etc. And I've had the privilege of, of working now with, a, with a companies to educate and to provide resiliency in communities. I think it's really important for consumers to be educated about natural disasters, what their gaps in coverage are, how to fill those gaps, and how to make our towns, cities, and governments responsible to consumers and resilient as we're going to experience more and more natural disasters. And it sounds like you mentioned a few of them just now, but what kind of clients do you consult for typically, and what are some of the issues or specific issues that you're helping them resolve? When I mentioned before, being an insurance commissioner, you really cover the whole waterfront of issues. And when you, oftentimes, the first job you take after that really limits what you do. You either choose the side of the aisle that's property and casualty or life and health, which are very different. So I chose to not limit that, and I chose to to really try to embark on a a way of doing business that didn't involve any of those kinds of limitations, which enables me to deal with and to have clients like the Cayman Islands Monetary Authority to help them provide consultations so to strengthen their solvency system and to work in the international community, because I did spend a number of years in the international community and working in that regard. And like to continue in that area as well. But I also, like I said, I've worked with the trade associations. I try to provide and guide. I'm a consultant, not a lobbyist, not an advocate. I, I make sure that I make, make that distinction. I like to provide the advice so that they don't find themselves in a position where they have to, you know, go before market conduct or find themselves in the crosshairs is to, is to continue to work with thought leaders in the insurance industry across all the disciplines to try to find creative solutions in an ever complex and growing marketplace. Well, it sounds like you're thriving and doing well, and we are just so happy to hear that. Kevin, thank you so much for your time and coming on uh, episode three of the Palmcast. I have really enjoyed speaking with you. The pleasure has been mine. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. I'm Jordan Martin. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at FSLSO to stay up to date on all things Palmcast, and be sure to tune in next time. Thanks for listening.